creating a 3D space in a 2D game. That's part of the discussion today in Legendary Adventures podcast. We'll also take our first steps into the Dark World and acquire the Moon Pearl from the Tower of Hera. From the Hylian Book of Mudora, it's imperative that you find the Bow, Power Glove, and Moon Pearl. What is the Moon Pearl? A Link to the Past's manual tells us, people who enter the Dark World are transformed into a shape that reflects what is in their hearts. You can prevent this by obtaining the Moon Pearl, which protects the bearer from the power of the Triforce. With the Bow and the Power Glove now in his possession, it's time for Link to climb Death Mountain to conquer the Tower of Hera. The Moon Pearl rests inside the tower, but why not explore a little first? This is an open world game after all. With the Power Glove from the Desert Palace, the upper third of the Light World map is now open to Link. This includes the Upper Zora River. It's reached by lifting a stone to access a path east of the Witch's Hut. A maze of low water allows players to progress upriver while fighting or dodging Zora that leap out to attack. Once Link reaches Zora's waterfall in the northeast, a large Zora, King or Queen Zora perhaps, appears and offers to sell Link flippers. The flippers allow Link to swim and to use whirlpools in the water to fast travel around the map. The only issue with this fast travel system is players can only find out which whirlpools connect to another through trial and error. The flippers, however, are essential for completing the game. They cost 500 rupees. I had maxed out mine by this point, so buying them was no problem. With the flippers, Link can now reach the Waterfall of Wishing. The waterfall is mentioned by a man in the bar in Kakariko Village. Other hints towards the waterfall include a sign near the Witch's Hut. The waterfall can only be reached by swimming. It's located between the Witch's Hut and Zora River, just beyond a portion of browning grass. Link must swim inside the waterfall to find the mysterious pool. When he approaches the pool, he'll be asked if he would like to throw anything in. Players are given a choice to throw any of their equipment into the pool, from the sword and shield, to collected tools from dungeons. The boomerang and the shield are particularly worth throwing in. Once thrown in, Venus, Queen of the Fairies, appears and asks if you dropped an item. If you say yes, she'll give the item back, or in the case of the boomerang and the shield, give you a better item in return. It pays to be honest. A nearby whirlpool leads to Lake Hylia. An island in the center of the lake contains a cave with the Pond of Happiness inside. Players are asked if they want to throw rupees into this pond. For every 100 rupees thrown into the water, Venus, Queen of the Fairies, will appear and offer to expand Link's bomb or arrow capacity. Players can ultimately upgrade until they can hold a maximum of 50 bombs or 70 arrows. Now let's get back to the quest for the pendants. There's a large rock that blocks the entrance to a cave on the west side of Death Mountain. Once inside, players will find a maze of paths that must be explored in the dark. On the west side of the first cave, Link will meet an old man. This is another one of the elders. He doesn't have a name, however. At the end of the game, he's only referred to as the Lost Old Man. He asks for help up the mountain. As players continue through Death Mountain, the old man will give directions, implying that despite his name, he is not as lost as he may seem. Along the way, he also explains that many people have disappeared on the mountain while searching for the Golden Power. He says his granddaughter was also taken as part of the wizard Aghanim's plot. He says the missing maidens are still alive and gives Link a magical mirror upon exiting the cave. He tells Link to look into the mirror if he wanders into a magical transporter. Further up the mountain, players will find Spectacle Rock. This rock feature from both the first and second game returns, though this time there is a bridge between the two lenses of the spectacles, actually giving it an appearance similar to a pair of glasses. There are also two patches of grass in the bare dirt that form the pupils or the eyes inside the lenses. The Tower of Hera is located on a higher ledge near Spectacle Rock, but it's unreachable. 
at least from the light world. There's a blue magical portal visible on the ground nearby. Stepping into it, Link is transported to the dark world. In the dark world, Link is transformed into a pink bunny. But why a rabbit? There are two dark world residents nearby. This is Bully and his friend. They explain that everyone who enters the dark world is transformed into a shape that resembles who they are on the inside. They also tell Link that the treasure in the Tower of Hera will keep the holder from changing shape in the dark world. So that's the in-game explanation. But when it comes to the developers, why did they decide to have Link turn into a rabbit? Well, here's what co-creator Takashi Tezuka told Game Informer in 2019. I really wanted to create a striking distinction between what Link normally looks like, so I wanted to create that severe distinction in looks. If I sort of think of a fantastic dream world, one of the first things I think about are rabbits. Back to the game. Players should immediately see that the dark world is similar to the light world, but it's not an exact copy. The colors are different, as are some physical features. Spectacle Rock is now a low, flat area, but the pattern on the ground gives the impression of where it would lie in the light world. If Link stands on where Spectacle Rock would be and then looks into the mirror, he'll return to the light world, and now he's on top of Spectacle Rock. From there, it's just a short hop and a walk over to the dungeon. This is just the first of many navigation puzzles that will involve traveling between the worlds. The Tower of Hera is the first dungeon where players really need to pay close attention to the layout. As the name suggests, it's a tower of six floors. Players will start on the second floor, and they need to work their way up to the sixth. This dungeon is the first in the series to really get players thinking about the dungeon as a 3D space. We've seen hints of this in prior dungeons, where individual floors were split between two levels, an upper and a lower. Here, players need to pay closer attention to the layout of the dungeon because the floors are now connected in a way that we haven't seen before. The dungeon emphasizes the need to pay attention to the layout in more ways than one. The first is through the use of crystal switches. These are orbs which change color between blue and pink when hit. Hitting the switch will cause a set of blocks that create barriers to either raise or lower from the ground. When the switch is pink, blue blocks are raised to create a barrier. When the switch is blue, the blue blocks lower and the pink blocks raise to form a barrier. As mentioned before, players enter the dungeon on the second floor. Immediately upon entry, players will be blocked from going any further by a barrier of blue blocks. But there's also a crystal switch immediately in front of the entrance. This will allow players to lower the blocks and advance while teaching them the mechanic right away. To the east and the west of the entry are two large pillars with stairs in them. The pillar on the west has stairs which lead down to the first floor. The pillar on the east has stairs which lead up to the third floor. It's not as obvious as previous dungeons, but the Tower of Hera is split between two sections. There's a big key door on the third floor which prevents players from entering the second section. To advance, players must first find the big key on the first floor. This means we must go through the pillar on the west down to the first floor to get a small key. Then we head back up to the second floor. There's a locked door on the northern wall. To reach it, players must manipulate the crystal switch from a distance. The boomerang, bow, or bombs can be used to do this. Heading through the locked door will take players back down to the first floor. They must then navigate through three rooms to reach the big key. Then it's back up and onto the third floor to reach the second section of the dungeon. Once through the big key door, ascension up the tower is fairly straightforward. There are holes on the floor that players can fall through which will take them back to lower levels. The pathways over the individual floors are also maze-like, but they're not too difficult to navigate. Players will also soon encounter star switches on the floors. These change the position of the holes when they're walked over. On the fourth floor, players will find the big chest, but it's inaccessible. 
There are star switches that block the way, moving impassable holes directly in front of the player if they try to walk straight to it. This brings us back to thinking of a 3D space within a 2D game. To get the Moon Pearl, players must think of the dungeon as a true vertical space. Floors 4 and 5 are the same shape. On the fifth floor, there is a star switch protected by a fire bar. Stepping on the switch moves the holes. There's a hole on the northern edge of the room that lines up with the chest below. Players can see this by checking their map. It's important, however, to fall through the hole from the northern end. Otherwise, the player may land on the star switch when they fall below, and they'll have to do it all over again. It's worth noting that the item of this dungeon, the Moon Pearl, is not required to complete it. Players could potentially leave the dungeon without grabbing the Moon Pearl. It is, however, required to complete the game. There's a lot of hinting to how essential it is. First, there was the hint in the Desert Palace to collect all items for dungeons. Then the Lost Old Man mentions that Link will need the Moon Pearl. Bully and his friend also told Link about the Moon Pearl. And finally, there's a hint tile on the fourth floor of this room, right in front of the big chest, that tells players to make sure that they get every item. Making it possible for players to miss an essential dungeon item is a holdover from the original Legend of Zelda. However, in contrast to that game, the developers are heavily hinting towards the item's importance. Before finishing up this dungeon, let's go back to that fire bar on the fifth floor for a second. Players may remember a similar obstacle from the Super Mario games. In an interview for the Japanese guidebook for A Link to the Past, it's noted that elements from the Super Mario games appear in A Link to the Past. The developers admit that it's due to the shared development between the original Super Mario Bros. and The Legend of Zelda. Takashi Tezuka said, The fire bars were originally made for Zelda. They were a lot of fun, so we used them in Mario 2. Miyamoto backed up that statement, saying, Now that you mention it, it was Mario that did the ripping off. As for why the Firebars ended up being excluded from the first Zelda game, but then re-included here, Miyamoto said, There were things that we just couldn't use in the first Zelda, you see. But as time passed and the statute of limitations was about to expire, we thought about using them again and we ended up implementing them in this game. Now let's continue up the tower. On the fifth floor, players will find a door marked by a horned skull. For the first time, it's actually marking the entrance to the boss room. The boss here is a giant worm, Moldorm. You'll remember that Moldorm was a mini-boss in the original Legend of Zelda. It was depicted as having a body comprised of multiple circular segments that had to be destroyed one by one. In this game, Moldorm is still comprised of circular segments, but instead has a weak spot on its tail. The fight happens on a platform that's surrounded by a drop-off to the lower floor. There's also a hole in the west side of the platform that adds some additional danger. Moldorm moves erratically trying to push Link off the edge. If Moldorm knocks Link down a floor, the fight will start all over again when Link re-enters the boss arena. Once Moldorm falls, the heart container and the pendant of courage will be awarded. With all three pendants, Link can now acquire the Master Sword. Next week we will draw the Master Sword and return to Hyrule Castle. If you'd like to follow along and you haven't already, please subscribe. Please also consider liking this and sharing it with another Zelda fan, or giving a review on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Paul Riley. thanks for listening. <laughs>